Welcome to Lincoln. We're a city smack dab in the middle of the country. We're a city that's home to Nebraska's state government, the University of Nebraska, and a host of thriving businesses. We're a city that's loaded with things to do, places to go, and friendly people to meet. This podcast, simply called Lincoln, is designed to help you get to know the people of Lincoln. Each episode will feature another of our residents just talking about who they are, what they do, and how they got here. I'm Randy Bretz, and joining me for these conversations is Marilyn Moore. The people of Lincoln make this community special. We want you to get to know them. We hope you'll enjoy listening to these conversations as much as we have putting them together. And now, let's meet someone who makes Lincoln their home. Today we have somebody I think it's going to just really impress you. It's a young man that grew up, uh, was born and raised here in Lincoln, and his name is Brad Nordell. And get this, Brad is the laboratory manager at the Extreme Light Laboratory at the University of Nebraska, right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. So let's start by uh, hearing your Lincoln story. You grew up here, did you have a happy childhood, and <laughs> yeah, not bad. I, not bad. I was, yeah, I was born in Omaha, and then okay. spent, and then moved here. I think I was in like fifth grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, spent uh, the rest of my time here in Lincoln. Went to the graduated from Southwest and also Arts and Humanities Focus Program, which was I don't know if a lot of people know about it, but it's a pretty nice program for people. So, you know about that? I do know about that. Yeah, it's over right over by <laughs> yeah. across the street from Lincoln, from Lincoln High. High. Now, Marilyn helped put that together. Oh, you did? I did. It's it's one of the things I'm most proud of from my time in Lincoln well, Public you Schools be, through the focus it's, programs. It's great. And I, I always felt like when I walked into Arts and Humanities, I had just stepped into, like, the best um, art and um, writing studio any place. It was extraordinary. Yeah. Well, it was good for people like me, who's kind of a self-starter. Yeah. Who likes to study by themselves instead of, you know, somebody doesn't really need I don't know. I wouldn't say I don't need a classroom, but I was, you know, the type that there's, there's room for for lots of independent work and and um, self selected direction and so forth. Yeah, and correct. Later on, I can't wait to hear you talk about how you bring that part of your mind together with your with your science part of your mind. Well, I was always the type who I I think I was always I had the brain that needed uh, college in in a way, whereas mm-hmm. I wasn't really challenged too much in elementary, mm-hmm. middle school, or even high school. So I was pretty excited when I got to college. I was able to study uh, the things I wanted to. Where did you attend college? Uh, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Okay. And then I understand you were just about done with a Ph.D. in physics? Yep. Yep. Tell us about that. Uh, so I got my bachelor's in physics here at UNL with minors in philosophy and mathematics. And then I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where I got my master's and finishing up my Ph.D. there. And so, and, and I'm sure people are going to want to read your dissertation. What's the title of it? Uh, the, well, that's, my dissertation is on using amorphous hydrogenated boron carbide as a new low-K dielectric material for interconnects. And that's all a bunch of fancy words. But re- really, all, all it comes down to is that in your computer systems, in those integrated circuits, you have uh, transistors that are connected via copper wiring everywhere. And encased in, in, in all that is a insulating-type medium, what we call silicon dioxide, which is sand. And so as, 
as we know, with Moore's laws, we're packing more and more transistors together, making them smaller. You have issues with like heat dissipation. You have issues with crosstalk, which is wires kind of talking back and forth. And so in order to kind of reduce all that, they want a new type of material. And so Intel gave us money to study that. And so we were trying to use boron carbide as a new material. So for, so I so in the lab, I grew those materials, I characterized them and studied just how like electrons are transported in them and everything. And so it was pretty it was pretty successful. I mean, it got us a nice award. So and a lot of papers, which is good. Yes, it is. For yeah. your for your academic career, that's very good. Yeah. Those those publications matter. And then yeah. You and said you grew you those materials. So that sounds to me like like biology, but it's not. Yeah, so we use this thing called plasma-enhanced chemical vapor deposition. So it started out as kind of like a solid, and then we put it into a, like a vacuum chamber, and you have like an anode and a cathode, and you have this voltage, and you can heat it, heat the temperature up, and and so you create like this thin film that's like the the thickness of your hair or, or wow. nanometers. Okay. And then then we can just use different types of methods to look at the. How it how it bonds to look at its properties and everything, and then you just you tune it almost like cooking, right? Mm. So you tune the temperature, mm-hmm. you tune the pressure that's in there, you tune how fast the the chemicals are flowing, and all these other things, and or the power between the two anode and the cathode, and you do all this until you get the right type of material, and that's kind of what we did. So we did a lot of. I mean, that's yeah. 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 You know. Uh, I'm sure there are people listening that think that the University of Nebraska is not much more than the football team and the marching band, and I'm impressed. You have a, a master or a bachelor's degree in physics from UNL. Yeah. And uh, tell us about the Extreme Light Laboratory. I, I have not been there. I know Marilyn just visited mm-hmm. there, uh, but tell us about that laboratory and what it's what it's there for. Yeah. So the Extreme Light Laboratory is over in Balin, and we're part of the physics department. Uh, we have one of the most powerful lasers in the world, at least in the United States, uh, called Diocles. And then we also have another user lab called Archimedes. And so the goal of the Extreme Light Laboratory is actually to use lasers to create tabletop accelerators. So a lot of people have heard of the Large Hadron Collider and stuff like that. Well, we're making kind of a smaller uh, version of that. So we're using lasers, and we and we dry, and we create electron beams, and from that we can create X-rays and stuff like that. But our electron beams and our X-rays are a little different than like if you go to a doctor, right? If you go there, you get an X-ray if you have a broken bone, but that's more of like imagine like a light bulb where the X-rays kind of go everywhere, and it's mm-hmm. various types of energies. Where ours is more of like a laser X-ray where we can really focus it in on certain things, and the X-rays are very energetic. And so, um, so we can kind of kind of pinpoint where those go, and also we use it to we can see behind steel and stuff like that. So if some there's buried objects, we can be able to see what's what's buried what's buried over there, which is the government's interested, and in. mm-hmm. we get a lot of funding from the Department of Energy and from National Science Foundation to do research. So Marilyn, what was your thought when you when you toured that lab recently? My thought was that I'm. What vague memories I had from high school physics didn't begin to uh, <laughs> help me understand what was going on. So I was really grateful for um, the graduate students who were who were demonstrating some of the, the lasers to us and for um, the folks that figure out what this is. And 
And then I was also just struck by this is world-class science and and it's happening right here on the campus of the University of Nebraska. It was extraordinary to me to, to see that. And that building that I'd walked by, you know, a gazillion times over the last 50 years and had had no idea of what was going on inside in 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 the depth of that building. Right. It was a extraordinary. A lot of people just don't know that no. we have one a world class laser facility just right there by the stadium. So when you're th- when you're going there on Saturdays, yep. going to the football, just think, hey, right there by the stadium you're is right, a walking by and walking over it is, laser facility. Would you talk a little bit about I'm um, and maybe it's not to this development yet, but you said one of the things that can happen with those really focused lasers is that you can see you can see through steel or behind steel, right? And obviously that has um, that's a desirable quality for uh, people in the military and for people that are that are doing excavations and so forth. What uh, what other applications would our listeners likely uh, understand or be interested in for the work that you're doing? Or is the research not to the point yet where you know that? Um, I mean, a few other applications is that our our lasers and electrons and X-rays that we create are at the very short time scale, so like femtosecond. So we're able to use that to create movies to see like molecules changing and stuff like that at the femtosecond time scale, which is 10 to the minus 15 seconds. So in this, there, a second just went by. Well, 10 to the 50, a million, million, million uh, femtoseconds just went by in that. So we're able to like create movies to watch. Um, So it's just called ultra fast science. Uh So, and we have a lot of users who come in who study that too. Other applications, um, so we're able to use our X-ray X-rays to study the nuclear levels and materials, so that and so that one day we'll be able to use what we call nuclear batteries. So right now you're you take your Duracell, right, and that's all the energy stored in, in chemical bonds in your Duracell. Well, in these nuclear batteries, someday the energy will be stored in these nuclear levels, in which one, you'll have a million times more energy, and two, these batteries could last a thousand years, ten thousand years, just depending on the material. Well, for so this perhaps, kid who was scrambling around the house trying to find batteries the other day when I thought we were going to lose power, I'd love to have one of those. <laughs> right, and so I mean, and this that that science is still way far out. It's yeah. just in the research stage. So maybe you know, fifty, hundred years from now, maybe we can have nuclear batteries that you know you have a single battery and that's all you all you need for the rest of your life. That could be very, very, very interesting. And then, I mean, we have uh, others, other applications that we are kind of trying to explore. And so with our x-rays, uh, so Sudeep Banerjee and I and a few others, we're trying to get funding and exploring the idea of using x-rays for communication. So right now we use radio waves. Mm-hmm. The problem is with radio waves, whether it's atmosphere or... Uh, uh, with atmosphere, you can they can they can get blocked or or leaves on a tree even right. Mm-hmm. And so X rays because of the high energy are, is able to penetrate and and not get blocked like uh, radio waves or even lasers can. And so it's possible that one of the game changers could be X ray communication in which we'll be able to communicate with satellites and then so which may be and more information can be sent via X rays. So higher data rates, stuff like that. And so when we're going to Mars and, you know, NASA and SpaceX has made kind of like a 2030, 2035 goal, getting to Mars, that could be something that that would be interested in 
No. So basically what you're saying is you would beam the laser, which creates the x-rays. Am I understanding how that works? So we'd and use that... our lasers to create x-rays. So mm-hmm. kind of what we do in our lab is that we take our laser and we focus it into a, a, a gas jet. And when we do that, we create a beam of electrons. And then we take another laser and we hit those beam of electrons creating x-rays. And then we can take the properties and tune the x-rays into, to the energy we want them, want them to. And so the goal is, because in our lab we're trying to create kind of tabletop accelerators, our kind of big goal is that it will be able to create a mobile unit. So we'll be able to take our laser system and our kind of accelerator system and put it on the back of a, a Humvee. Right? So we just kind of scale everything down, like Moore's Law scales everything down. Well, we kind of want to do the same thing. And so the goal will be, you know, start out by putting it in the back of a truck, back of a Humvee, and then maybe later on putting it into a, a UAV and then maybe a CubeSat one day. And so that's kind of like 10, 20, 30-year goals, right? So as, as technology scales, we'll be able to scale our laser system and, and someday put it in space in which you can use the X-rays to communicate via long distances and this different is, atmospheres. This is just boggling my mind. Isn't it? You're, you're talking to a guy that uses uh, laser to entertain his cats <laughs> with a, with a <laughs> yes, little red dot yes, on the right. floor. It works really well for them. But I also <laughs> somewhat understand, I, you know, here in Lincoln we have uh, fiber now to virtually every home. And that doesn't, as I understand, fiber carrying the communications into our homes uses laser yep. technology. And now you're talking about taking it even uh, – not even a step, multiple steps into the future. So it's just it's mind-boggling. And well, it's right here in Lincoln, Nebraska happening. To uh, blow your mind even more, it's possible that we can take those X-rays and then now have quantum entanglement, right, and quantum encryption, so that way they're highly secure, right? So the thing with RF is that radio waves is that they go everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can intercept them easily, but ours will be like a, a beam, and so it's... One, much harder to intercept, and two, you know, in the future maybe we can entangle them in a way in which if somebody were to intercept, they'd lose the information. So high security, high encryption. With, with, without um, any knowledge at all, I w- and without asking you to confirm anything, I would think this would also be of high interest to the U.S. Department of Defense and to intelligence agencies and, and to, um, to any, any industry that has a high value on secured intelligence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to take us off in a, in a very different direction. Uh, you're a very, very highly educated person, a Ph.D. in physics, uh, impresses the heck out of me. Um, and you grew up in Lincoln, got a degree in another state, and then you came back. Tell me why you came back. Well, I have came back for a number of reasons. One... A lot of friends and family here uh-huh. to the university. I, I love this university. And so the opportunity to work there and to kind of start my career at the university was was a big, uh, big reason for coming back. Okay. And, uh, you know, Lincoln is just a great place to, to, to live and grow up with. I mean, the people here are amazing. We're very, we're very trusting. We're also kind of I've noticed that Lincoln adopts people very quickly, right? Whether you've gr- grown up here or whether you've not, you come here and now, all right, you're part of Lincoln. 
So yeah, I felt that. I've been here quite a few years, but uh, it, it wasn't long after my wife and family moved here that we just felt we were, you know, natives. And uh, that's a good point. So uh, I'm an educator. Maryland's an educator. And we hang out. We'll have a glass of wine and we'll go to the lead center and, you know, take in a concert or something. What do physicists do in Lincoln do to, to pass their time? Well, I don't know if I can speak for all physicists. I can speak for <laughs> this physicist, but uh, hey, I, I I like to go to shows all over Lincoln, right? Uh-huh. Especially uh, music shows over at the Zoo Bar, stuff like that. The Lead Center is great. Love to go there. So, I mean, I pass most of my time with with various projects. So I work a lot of, with my friends on just ways to increase. Uh, science literacy and communication and just other kind of fun things here in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, talk so, to us about science literacy. What uh, you know? What are you, what are you working on? Why is why is that important? What ideas do you have about that? Yeah, um, even at the like even at the Extreme Light Laboratory, we do a lot of outreach. And in fact, we have one coming up called the Sunday with the Scientist at Morrill Hall, and so. There we have tons of demos in which we will teach kids and families and students about uh, light, about lasers, and about optics and just science in general. And so we'll have, you know, we got fun interactive demos from a laser harp to a hologram to learning to align a laser. We even have like uh, a green screen in which you can dress up like a scientist and and take pictures and stuff like that. It's it's going to be extreme fun. We did we did a Sunday with a scientist in 2017, and we had about 350 people who came out. So I'm hoping for more. I've been hoping for 500 or so. So tell me what a laser harp is. <laughs> I mean, I'm you're, you're still remember I I I made the little red dot run around on the floor, and my cats chase it. So. Yeah. So a laser harp actually it. It looks like a harp, but instead of strings, you have lasers. And the lasers go into a photodiode, meaning it just sees the laser, and then that connects into a computer, into a program that tells it to play music. And so if you block the light, it plays a note. And so so you'll be able to – it'll look – the way we've designed it, it'll look like a piano in a way. So you'll be able to play almost like a piano and play some music. So you don't use your hands like a, a harp player would? But. Uh, there are some that do that, but for safety we had to do a little bit of something okay. different just because of the, the intensity of the light that's needed for those types of uh, instruments we couldn't use with kids what age, and people. What age level of uh, people are, are you aimed at? I, everybody. But I'd say like maybe <laughs> six to six or older. Uh-huh. I think would have a lot of fun with just... I think it really attracts elementary age kids and middle school kids. They're just there's great hands-on activities. It's just yeah, and that's the goal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and lasers. Lasers are cool, right? Oh yeah. And their parents are with him, so they're they're gonna learn too, which is great science literacy. Right. Uh, what what uh, sparked your first interest in physics? Was it a high school class or? So I mean, I I think growing up. I've always been the type that's, you know, is curious about the world. And, you know, I've always been the type that, you know, wanders off on his own and lives in his head kind of kind of kind of type, which makes me as a helps me to be a, also a great writer, but 
also a scientist. I'd say I think I chose to go into physics in middle school. I actually was, I found a book by Einstein about relativity, and I read it. Not that I understood it. In but middle I, school? Yeah, and I thought, oh, man, this is cool. This is what I want to do. But the funny thing is it was a toss-up between physics or neurology, but I ended up going with physics, even though I, I, I study neurology and I find it fascinating. But in the end, I decided to go with physics, probably around middle school area. And how did that undergraduate minor in philosophy feed into all of that? <laughs> well, like I said, I like to think about the world, and I think philosophy is a, a, a very essential when you're in the, the sciences to, to kind of think about what, what, it, what does it mean when you're the things you study, right? It's not just about memorizing facts. It's not just about knowledge. It's about understanding what it means, understanding how it connects to everything else in the universe, right? And I believe once you begin to, to make those connections, you'll be able to have a bigger picture, and, you under, and be able to explain it better to other people and everything. Because, I mean, all, everything that we study is, is all interconnected. It's just we like to specialize in certain things because we can't grasp it all at once. But in the end, physics, biology, chemistry, it's all, it, it, it's all the same system. It's all the same universe. And so philosophy just kind of helps you kind of create that bigger picture, helps you ask questions, helps you dive deeper into, into the meaning of things. So you mentioned earlier um, Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is that is that why they're so I'm um, I mean popular under uh, understates what they are? Is that why they've had such an impact on people beyond science? Is that they've been able to to paint a, a picture of what it means, a bigger picture? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I always look at science as I'm not sure if if you guys have heard, but uh, heard of Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. So he's got yeah. the hero's journey, right? Yeah. And science is the epitome of the hero's journey, right? So you have the hero. You have the calling. You have the, 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 the wonderment of answering a certain question, right? That's the first part. And the second part is, is diving into the unknown, and that's the research, right? You dive into the unknown. You defeat the dragon. You, um, you, you, you get the boon. You steal the fire from the gods like Prometheus, right? And then the last part is bringing it back. And a lot of scientists like the first and second part, right? They like the, the inquiry. They like the wonderment. They like the call, call to adventure. And then they go do the research. But then they got to come bring it back. And a lot of times we like to just write really cryptic papers in which we get it published. And we don't explain it to the rest. But when you bring it back and when you, the return part is where you have to disseminate your results. You have to explain it to everybody else who are not scientists. And that's actually one of the most difficult parts but one of the most essential parts. Because if you don't do that, there's kind of the, this divide. So people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, people like Carl Sagan, they're really good at the return. They're really good at explaining to the rest of humanity that uh, the results. So that way they can use the fire. They can use whatever, whatever you've, you, you've created for the betterment of humankind. And I think that's, that's the real goal, and that's the thing that we have to be better as scientists at doing, especially in today and especially if we want to like solve the uh the problems of tomorrow solve the the great humanitarian problems in the next 10 years 20 years 50 years 100 years we have to be able to to communicate all of our results we have to be able to take those and figure out how how we can utilize them so you i'm sure you're interacting with uh physicists and other scientists all over the world probably uh when they ask you about why Lincoln, Nebraska, what do you tell them? So I think 
Lincoln is a a great kind of ground zero type place to really um, build up innovation. And I say that because, one, our university. We just have a really great university and also innovation campus. And so I think, like, with Nebraska, we have a tendency of not – I don't mean this in a bad way, but not wanting to be number one in in certain things. (laughs) Except in football. Except in football, right, exactly. Maybe in in volleyball, yeah. (laughs) And so I think a big part of me coming back to Nebraska was that I'd like to to help in any way I can to be – to kind of be number one in certain things. And I think one of those things would be like renewable energy, right? Mm -hmm. So right now we're number 17th in the nation in wind output, but we have the potential of being number two. And so I'd, I'd really like, you know, utilizing the research and development going on at, at UNL and then utilizing Innovation Campus to create new tech companies, stuff like that, to really kind of push renewable energy sources here in Nebraska, push new technology and try to kind of be, you know, show the world that we are a place of innovation, especially, right, we, we should be, we're the heart of America. Well, that heart should also be uh, kind of leading in in science and development and new new businesses and everything like that. I mean, we're we kind of pride ourselves on having a a lot of jobs, but I don't think it's just about quantity. I also think it's about quality of jobs. And so for me, like um, a lot we have a lot of we have a lot of talented scientists who come and get their bachelor's here, their master's or PhD, and then they leave and go to the coast because there's a lot of uh, opportunities for scientists on the coast, whether it's West or East Coast. Mm-hmm. I'd like to create more opportunities here in the Midwest so that way they're not leaving, they're staying here. And I think that's kind of an important thing that we need to focus on too, to have more science jobs here. And that's exactly what this podcast is designed to do or what we hope well, it does. Yeah. It does. Right. Um, you grew up in Lincoln. And uh, one final question I'll ask you is, uh, Lincoln would be better if... Fill in the blank. We had gold streets or <laughs> whatever. Paved sidewalks. <laughs> well, kind of what I was talking about. I think Lincoln would be better if we kind of nurtured that innovation, right? And we became kind of leaders in there. So instead of becoming a flyover state, we kind of we start becoming a fly to state. And I think that'd be better if we start building up you know, businesses and stuff like that in innovation campus, which they're already doing, but I think we need Mm -hmm. to do a little bit more of. Like I can envision maybe one day we have a business called Midwest Wind, Solar, Nano, right, in which we're taking that research and development happening in the Department of Engineering, Department of Physics, Department of Chemistry, and we're creating, you know, a corporation based off that. And, you know, we can, I can envision that, that, that business would be the ones who are developing, who are distributing new, uh, you know, wind generators, new solar cells, and new devices for um, microelectronics and stuff like that for the silicon industry. So, I mean, Nebraska is part of this thing we call Silicon Prairie, but I'd like Lincoln to really kind of be the leaders in that. And I think that's one of the things about Lincoln is that we have great leadership here. And so I think we need to be kind of the starters there on leading that, uh, that innovation here. And, and just especially with renewable energy, I would, I, I would love for us to have a 2050 goal of, uh, you know, Nebraska going 100% renewables by 2050. 
but we have to start today, you know. And I think using Innovation Campus, utilizing UNL, and then kind of educating people on the science and like the benefits of renewable energy and just and and all those things is 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 where we need to start. So. So is your heart, mind, and soul in the Extreme Light Laboratory, or is it in the entrepreneurial development at Innovation Campus, or do you want to do both of them? Uh, kind of a mix. I. So I kind of have a motto, and it's uh, uh, your only limitation is the idea you're limited. And so I don't like to, to limit myself just to one thing. And so to me, yes, I, you know, I think the Extreme Light Laboratory, I think we have a lot of amazing research we're doing that could be used one day uh, to change the world. But I also think science education is important and, and just further development here in, in Nebraska. So, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like to, to explore all those avenues. And I'm just starting out. Mm-hmm. So. Well, Brad, thank you so very much for being here and, and expanding our minds. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for uh, coming back to Nebraska. And uh, whatever you need to, to invite others to come, uh, let us know. We'll do what we can to help you. And and uh, we'll put a picture of Diocles online with this uh, so people can see what Diocles looks like. Okay, good. And, uh, and some other uh, information related to your research in the laser world. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening in as we talk to someone who helps make Lincoln special. If you live here, drop us a note and let us know what you think about Lincoln. If you've moved away, well, we'd love to welcome you back. And if you've only heard about or visited Lincoln, we just know you'd love it here. Join us again and catch someone from Lincoln talking about why they love Lincoln and why you should too.